This is episode four of My Black is Transnational. My name is Dr. Kalechi Bay Lamberts, and this episode will be another one of our pillow talks with my wife, Dr. Wanda Averhart, which will be focusing on her becoming transnational. And in this episode specifically, we'll focus solely on her experiences through her eyes of what it was like to travel to Nigeria for the second time and all that came along with that. So I hope you all enjoy the content. It should be a very, very interesting conversation. And um, I look forward to hearing your feedback. Let's go. Dr. Kalechi Bay Lamberts, and this is my Black is Transnational. And today's episode is another one of our pillow talks that focuses on becoming transnational. And I have a special guest with me today who is a permanency in my life, uh, my wife, Dr. Wanda Ava Hart. Hello. Say hey, what's up? I'm happy to be here. So, what's going on? Um, we just came back from Nigeria. This was another one of our um, annual pil- pilgrimages that A we real take. <laughs> right. And uh, second time that we've gone in consecutive years that we spent Christmas and her birthday and part of New Year's yes. in the motherland in Nigeria, which is my, my hometown, my native country. And today's episode, we're going to be focusing strictly on your perspective, babe, on how things were for you when you went to Nigeria. I know last time you went, you stayed in Abuja, but this time we actually went into my home village in Which Imo State. In Imo State. Yes. No, wait, 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 wait. It is Amimo? Yes. Amimo. Amimo in <laughs> Ikeriduru in Oere in Imo State. And that's how you break it down. It even goes even more that is Umuazalod in... Umuazalod. Yeah. In Amimo, in Ikeriduru, in Oere in emo state in nigeria oh my god you're telling everybody your history and that's like, how you break it down that's like when you go to the south side of your seven and you're like yo i live on like 79th and indiana which is in the south side of chicago which is in illinois which in the united states and that's essentially how you would break it down but that's so just a little bit more find him. yeah <laughs> basically find you can find my roots right there i just put it out there for the whole world to hear if you actually listen to this episode. Wait, before we even go any further, please make sure if you want to see it, follow me on Instagram at blacktransnational underscore. I'm also available on Twitter, kind of, sort of. Um, feel free to email me, kalechi.lambers at gmail.com. This is like the fifth episode or fourth episode. I still ain't putting no email out. I'm out here slacking, y'all. I apologize. But I do know that some of y'all will like to email me and actually give me your feedback. Um, right now, Instagram is a good way to do it. You can actually leave and um, subscribe this podcast on all platforms, Apple, TuneIn, Google, however you want to do it. So please feel free to subscribe, like, give me some feedback. Let me know what you're really thinking. Um, and I hope that you continue to follow me as I continue to grow with this podcast. I think we got something special brewing here. But anyway, now that we've gotten all the formalities out the way, we're going to focus mm-hmm. back on you. We're going to do an, no, not enough talking. It's all about me. It's going to be all about you this time. And it should be as you are a queen. I just said that so everybody yeah. knows what's up. But that's that's always been a given. All right. Anyway, what's your what's your experience been like? Tell me what's up. Tell everybody what's up. What was it like for you to go to Nigeria this time? So in summary, um, 
I think it was somewhat of a, a culture shock, but it was really welcoming, nice to meet all the people and your extended family. Uh, the first time we went, we stayed in Abuja, which is FCT, the Federal Capital Territory. So it's like the capital of Nigeria. They have security there. That's where all the federal buildings are. So it's the city. Um, that by itself was a little different, but this was even more different in that I met new people. I got to really see what the culture is like, what the people is like, and just what Nigeria is like outside of the city. So I can talk for days about each and every category, and I will. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, I mean, that was kind of the summary. Okay. So, um... I guess when we first got there, so we spent the first day or two in Abuja with your dad. And that was pretty much the same as last year. Mm -hmm. You know, you have your room, you have your little shower bucket, you do your everyday. It's kind of boring. Just like going home with your mom and your dad, they do their everyday life and you try to just sit in there and be peaceful. Um, but after about two days in Nigeria, we made a, a, a 13 hour car ride to the village in Amimo State. And what was that and what was that ride like for you now in the sense of what, what were you experiencing there in that, that trip? So that was a 13 hour car ride. Right. <laughs> a 13 hour car ride. Say less, right? Lord. So there was a lot of things that went through my mind. Um first and foremost I didn't know it was 13 hours. Your dad said what six hour car mm -hmm. ride? So it was definitely um, a shocker as we kept going. You're driving on CP time for sure. Oh, that was so much. Um, African time. Yeah. But in the beginning, it was just amazing to kind of see the landscape. It was very, very beautiful. So as we came from Abuja, and your dad quizzed me on all the states we went through. I think we went through Benu State. Mm -hmm. We went through Kogi State. Mm -hmm. We went through, um, oh my God. It starts with an E. Uh, E-N. Enugu State. Yeah. Enugu State. And then there was one more. And then we ended up in Emo State. You know, it was Enugu and then we went through Emo State. Emo State. Okay. But anyway, so as we went through from one state to the other, you could see the landscape changing. So in the beginning, this is, we were there during Hamatan season. Mm -hmm. So it was dry. What's Hamatan? It's the dry season. Okay. So in tropical regions, you have your wet season, your dry season. So it's the dry season. So as we were driving, you were seeing like, it looked like just sand, desert type of area with these low trees that were kind of just spaced out. So in what you think of Africa and seeing the safari, those trees that kind of branch up towards the sky and come off abruptly, that's what you saw. But then as we kept going, we started seeing more tropical lush trees, greenery, palm trees, and it just became more of a a tropical feel mm -hmm. where the trees were higher, they were more lush. Um, so that was so beautiful to see that. Um, the car ride itself was just uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> that's a word I use to describe a lot of this trip. Just uncomfortable. Um, we didn't have air conditioner. Uh, it was dry season, so dust was everywhere. And the roads are not, not all of the roads. So as we were in Abuja, in the FCT, the roads were paved. But as we got further and further into the states and into the village, you were going just on dirt. Mm. And if you guys know anything about traveling on dirt, 
the wheels kick up dirt the whole time that you're going, the faster that you go. And so um, as we were driving, dirt just kind of coming in, coming into the car so much that we had to roll up windows. You put your shirt over your um, mouth and your nose so you don't breathe it in. But it, it was it was pretty difficult to, to drive and ride for that long with all that dirt coming up and no air conditioner. So what was the regulation like? Like, how did people drive in, in, in Nigeria? What was that experience like for you seeing how people drive and regulate traffic in Nigeria? So we started our trip probably about, what, four or five in the morning. Yeah. And so it was kind of dark, but you could feel the bumps. Yeah. You can feel how things are. But as it became daytime, you really started to see what kind of a drive this was and what kind of roller coaster you were on. Um, we had a professional driver. This is what he does. Um, for a living and I had to close my eyes many times <laughs> and I just had to pray to the Lord and just express to him that you know I want you to get us there safely and you, we have a professional driver and he knows what he's doing just Lord keep us in your in your hands because Jesus, it was, take the wheel <laughs> it was that difficult of a drive so our driver he was good but there isn't a lot of regulation on the roads like there are here in the U.S. In the U.S., you have stop signs, you have stoplights, you have paved roads. You have people that just, we all know what the rules of the road are and we abide by them. I don't think there are any rules of the road in Nigeria. And I don't think people abide by them because our driver, once he saw that there was a lot of traffic on our specific road, he detoured and went into the other lane and started driving the opposite way to get us to where we needed to go. So we got cars coming towards us, swerving away from us, we swerving away from them, and it just looked like we were in a video game and was just about to get into an accident. But that was driving, that's not abnormal. So I don't necessarily think that there isn't, there aren't any rules and regulations. I just think a lot of them might be unwritten rules and regulations. <laughs> and a lot of them is just one of those things where if you know, you know. And if the you... unwritten rule is, if it's traffic on your lane, you gonna get in the other lane and drive the opposite direction. You just gotta drive at your own risk. And it's, it's one of those things where I know for a fact that if I live in Nigeria, I can't last more than two hours driving myself. I would not I'd drive. be dead. Not drive Immediately dead. I would not drive. It's not gonna happen for me. But anyway, I'm And talking. then your horn is everything. So because there aren't any stoplights, stop signs, if you got somebody on the road, bah, 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 bah. if you're trying to get through a small space, bah, 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 bah. that's what your horn sound like? <laughs> bah, 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 bah. <laughs> what in the world well, is wrong like, with your car? Ah! What is wrong with your that's car? That's the horn. Wow. It's used for everything, which is not what we're used to. You think of road rage when you hear that type of honking. But... We made it, by the grace of God, to where we needed to go. Um, I guess one of the other things that stood out for me on the drive is just seeing all the people. Seeing all the people on the side of the road, living in mud houses. Um, every time that there was a security checkpoint, and the security checkpoints are kind of like when you're here in the U.S., and you see a line of cars pulled over because the police stopped them all and they're just checking to make sure that, you know, their registration is, is, is safe. They had many of those where you would drive past a barricade created by the security or the police and they would just kind of look at you and, and wave you by, I guess, just to make sure you look okay. But that basically happened multiple times. And as you got into the line for that security, you would get numerous kids, numerous people coming up to you trying to sell you stuff. 
So depending on where you were in your state, they would sell you whatever was growing in that state. So when we first started, they were selling like bananas. Um, and then by the time we got to where it was lush greenery tropics, they would sell palm wine, cashews. So it was kind of just like, I don't know, a free-for-all with people trying to sell you stuff. And they were very aggressive when you were waiting in those lines. And so you basically just have to roll your eyes, look the other way, say no each time because they were just hustling. And so it was different to see in the city, in Abuja, yeah, you see people hustling, but these people were very aggressive. And you could really tell that they really were hustling to try to make some money from the people that were going through. But nonetheless, we made it. Yeah, so we finally made the trip and all those things, I lived and slept through it, kind of, but we made it to the village and then- You slept on that car ride? Kind of. I didn't sleep. Kind of, Mm -mm. kind of, kind of. It was nothing but the grace of God. But we made it through the village and now what was that experience like when we got to the village? What were your perspectives? Um, so when we got to the village, uh, I tried not to put too many, too many, um, perceptions in my head or too many expectations because- I wasn't sure. So you told me, oh, my dad has this nice house in the village and it's big. It's like a little baby mansion. But when I think about the village, I'm thinking about the country. You know, I'm thinking about backwoods in Mississippi here. And you don't see too many big mansions there. You don't see too many nice houses. You just see a lot of, you know, things that are raggedy. And so when we got to the village, I was definitely impressed by the houses. So, unlike the backwoods in Mississippi, the village is kind of, I guess, divided into estates. And so, you have different parts that have gates around it and the houses in the inside. And in his estate, in in your family's estate, they have nice houses with a big gate around it. But once you go out, you see the dirt roads. You see the dilapidated buildings. You see what you would expect for a village. Um, But I was definitely surprised at how big the houses were and how nice they were um, when we got there. So, like, now when when you you got to the village, you see how nice the houses were. So what were some of the things that you felt? Was it something that you were like, oh, yeah, I can get used to this or this isn't that bad? What did you see as far as now trying to get adjusted to living in 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 the village for a couple of weeks um so i mean i guess we gotta think about it in two ways so yes i was in the village and it was a new perspective new place and you're getting adjusted for a week or so but then it was also new people it was also me being introduced to my fiance my husband's family and so that um that i lost the word that pressure on top of being in a new culture just kind of made things even that more heated and that more um nerve provoking for me Mm -hmm. so yes i was taken aback by how beautiful things were but then i was also very nervous because as i stepped foot into the village it was a brand new culture all new people that i would like to be accepted by and i would like to impress and not um, be that typical American. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. I understand how people see Americans. I understand how people see specifically African-American females. And so I know that, yes, this is all new to me, but I have to fight 
all of that pressure to make sure that my impression that I leave is not bad on America, is not bad on African-American women, and is not bad on my fiance, my husband, who brought me here. So interesting that you say that because it seems like you have this pressure of representing the country, right, as an African-American, even though you're black, right, and you're, you know, we talk about the history of being black and, and, and you know, that connection as Africa being the motherland, but you still feel like coming into that, in, coming to back to the motherland, you have to represent America well because of the perception. So can you speak more on that? Uh, yeah, so I've never been asked my nationality. I've never been asked, are you American, per se? Hmm. So, um... That was different to be somewhere and recognize that I am American. Because <laughs> in America, I'm not really American. I'm black. You get what I'm saying? It's a completely different perspective. Um, but, I mean, it was just, it was, it was like I said, just nerve-wracking to really recognize who I am and what I represent. So, now, it was funny that you mentioned that you're black when you're in America, but you were perceived, funny enough, as... What you perceive? They called me the white woman. They called you the white woman. I was the white woman. How does that make you feel? Because we talk about connecting back to Africa, right? That's a big thing for me. Obviously, you being my wife, obviously, it's not necessarily something that you that was mandatory, but it was something that I think you still were willing to do, which I appreciate. But coming to Nigeria, coming to Africa, and specifically in the village, you were perceived as a white woman. Mm -hmm. They called me the white woman. Now, how did you feel being a black woman, knowing the history of being black in America? Coming to Africa and being called white. Well, I mean, so I knew from the beginning that I had to set how I felt aside coming to the village mm-hmm. because I needed to be open to what was coming to me. Mm-hmm. I needed to be open to the culture. I needed to be open to how they felt. I needed to just be open to the entire experience. Mm-hmm. So I can't say I felt some kind of way. It's just. Why didn't they just, call you white? So, I mean... Because you light-skinned, right? Or because what? What was it? What do you think it was? Well, I think it's because I'm light-skinned and because of the way I talk and how they perceive African-Americans. So, on multiple occasions, your family, they expressed how they were fearful that you came to America and that you would come back to them with um, language they don't understand. With pants that are baggy. They called it fried hair. Fried hair. Fried hair, which is essentially supposed to be like dreadlocks. Um, And basically with that African-American persona. Right. And so um, I knew that that is what they were expecting of an African-American. Right. That wasn't me. What I presented to them was probably what they thought of as a white American. And so maybe that's why they called me. The white woman, because I spoke clearly, I spoke educated, and I didn't come with baggy clothes or speak any bonics, and I didn't have fried hair, had curly hair. So, what can I say? And that goes into a deeper rabbit hole as far as how people are being shaped um, to perceive blackness and whiteness mm-hmm. in terms of being appropriate, being proper, mm-hmm. um, compared to the expectation of what. America could do and westernization does to a black person, which means you come back with baggy pants and and dreadlocks, and now you're perceived as someone that's gone wayward and has lost culture, and has or lost, has culture, lost their culture, right? Um, so now for you though, just continuing on with your with your story. So I mean, we got there, 
And yes, I was nervous. I knew what it meant. I knew who I had to represent. Um, but then I also knew that there were a lot of people that um, were interested in meeting me and that I was going to be exposed to a lot of new things. And because of that, I had to put everything I thought aside and not take offense to anything or take anything personally. Um, but I mean, I think one thing that really impacted me that I didn't recognize was that car ride. Mm. That car ride alone from the beginning was just, it took a lot and I wasn't used to it. Uh, in the past, anytime we had a long car ride or something was uncomfortable, you come home, you take a shower, you get yourself together, and then you go meet all the important people that you came to meet. And so immediately when we got to the village, we had work to do. Mm. And so uh, we had to go in and speak to your grandmother, meet your grandmother, right. meet your aunts, meet right. your uncles. And right. so, like I said, uncomfortable was a word that I was comfortable with. Mm -hmm. I was very uncomfortable when we got out of the car and just went and started doing everything. Right. Because I wanted to compose myself and look nice and do all these things that I would do here in the U.S., mm -hmm but I didn't have the ability or time to do it there. So, but nonetheless, we met your grandmother and I think I said, how did I say, how are you, ma'am? And I should have said, good evening, ma'am. And so it was one of those things where I wanted to make sure that my greeting and how I approached everybody was proper mm -hmm. because, and correct me if I'm wrong, but in Nigerian customs, it's all about greeting. Greetings. And it's all about doing it the proper way. And so... In the U.S., I would probably say, well, you know, nice to meet you, ma'am. Yeah. How are you? In, in Nigerian culture, I'm supposed to say, good evening, ma. Mm -hmm. um, how are you doing? Or something to yeah. that manner. And I didn't quite do it perfectly. So I kind of, you know. But I mean, I think, I think just that. as you mentioned, um, you know, greeting is, is a big thing. Um, you even, even on the radio where we were coming from. Uh, we were coming to the village from Abuja. You can hear on the radio, they were asking about, like, what was the key to good parenting? It was just a discussion I was having on a radio show. And the guy who was giving out, he was like a consultant or a professor, was talking about the most important thing that you do when you're bringing parents, when your parents are bringing up kids right, is greeting. Greeting, knowing how to greet, knowing how to greet adults, your elders, your seniors, um, is a major thing. And you notice that when you went, any younger kid that walked past you, what was the first thing? They would say, good evening, good afternoon, ma. So that was a big one for me, was saying ma. Because in my mind, if I say ma, that's either New Yorker, what's up, ma? Yeah, or yeah. how you doing, ma? Yeah, yeah. Or I'm greeting my ma, like, hey, yeah, ma. You right. know, it's not something that I would use in a proper manner. So right. it was very hard for me to accept Going to people and saying, good afternoon, ma. How are you doing, ma? So I chose not to do that most of the time. Yeah. I would say ma'am and sir. Yeah. And I think everybody accepted that because I would just get up. How you doing, ma'am? How are you, sir? Ma'am, sir. And that was the way I took it. But ma was a, was, was a, a term that was kind of hard for me to grapple yeah. with because yeah. of how I know it. Yeah. It's normally a lot of good afternoon, ma. Good afternoon, sa. It's a, it's not really S I R. You don't hear the R like er. You know, it's not sir or, or ma'am. It's a ma sa. Yeah. Right. So it's good afternoon, ma. Good afternoon, sa. That type of thing. And that's just 
way we've taken ownership of that term of endearment or, or, or to say reverence um, mm-hmm. for our seniors and adults. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I mean, so we got there and we hit the ground running. So we started greeting everyone and saying good afternoon. Um, and it was, it was just a, it was a homecoming. What can I say? I, I hadn't realized that it had been about 10 years since Kalechi had been to the village and everybody, Kelly boy, Kelly boy. Oh, no, no, no. Kelly mom, Kelly mom. <laughs> so you left as a boy and came back as a man. And I could definitely see that as we entered the village. Yeah. So another thing that we ended up doing after coming to the village, we had lots of festivities, um, went to weddings and all that. So what was that experience like going to a couple of my family weddings that I had? A couple of my cousins got married um, in the village or close to the village. So mm-hmm. you got to experience what weddings look like. So I got to experience a white wedding, which I think is akin to an American wedding. And so it was pretty much the same as the American wedding. It's just the the family. Um, when they introduce, because, you know, in America, they'll introduce the couple, Mr. and Mrs. And then they'll introduce each bride and groom. I mean, each um, bridesmaid and groomsman. But here it seemed like the family was introduced and the family was like, it and they came in boom 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 dancing dancing and so it was just like a celebration of the family in itself the white wedding i went to when i tell you they spent money and it was immaculate and things were really really pretty and put together the food was great i was definitely impressed it was very much like an american wedding here um Let's see. I didn't go to the cultural wedding or the traditional wedding, but from what I hear, there were quite a few things there that were different than what happens at the American wedding I saw. Um, For instance, I think the wife has to get a glass of palm wine and then find her husband in a crowd, which I would have loved to witness that. In Igbo culture, that's specifically for Igbo culture. Yoruba culture and other cultures have their own way of working through the engagement process and also the marriage process in the traditional wedding. But ultimately how that works is you have, it's very similar in the sense of the family comes in, the bride comes, it's all about the bride and they're here to pick up their bride, right? They paid the bride price, which is what they call a dowry. The dowry system isn't what you think or what it used to be where you're actually paying money, but it's more like how much you gonna put on for this wedding? As far as you gonna put on for the food and drinks, that's you gonna you gonna pay for the meat. You gonna pay for all that. So okay, that's like that. in the U.S. culture where the bride's dad pays for the wedding traditionally. Traditionally, but not in this case. In this case, it's the the groom's family is gonna give, okay. and the bride the the, the bride is gonna host mm, them. Okay. And then you okay? We've come to collect our bride. We've paid our bride price. We're coming to collect, but we're gonna celebrate this moment. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially what it looks like in all culture. That that same concept applies how they go about it aesthetically differs from different types of subcultural groups in nigeria so we went to the weddings Mm -hmm. it was beautiful so now one of the things that we had i thought was very interesting i wanted to share was a conversation we had with some of our family members and what our younger family members and about how they perceived america and life in, in america and for you someone getting connected you were looking for someone to have that type of dialogue with about yeah. you know the American system or something similar to what your experience was. So what was that like? Um. So I mean, I think the first time I had a conversation about what it's like to be black in America or the American system was with some of your younger cousins, 
and we just talked about um, some of the things that people in Nigeria think. And it's it's kind of like, well, the African-Americans in the U.S. have so many opportunities. Uh, you have all of these systems in place that help you move from one, I guess, system to the next system. So one economic system to the next. So you can go from poverty to wealthy in one generation, which typically doesn't happen in Nigeria. And so we just talked a little bit about how there are systems in place that that sometimes doesn't necessarily pan out the way you would think it pans out in the U.S. So like, and another thing that was also mentioned was how they perceive America as far as some of the fears that mm. they have about America. Before you had this perception that America was gold and America is rich and all that. But because of social media now, I had a good conversation with my cousins um, about how, you know, through social media now and through other forms of, of resource of information, people are starting to perceive coming to America as a black immigrant completely different than how it used to be. And what were your thoughts on that? Hmm. Um, I mean, I can understand it because I, I think we're in a day and age where even Americans kind of fear Americans. <laughs> um, mm. And I may be connecting the dots that people in other countries aren't connecting, but Trump has kind of put in the forefront a side of America that we've kept hidden for a while. And that's that whole um, racism, that nationalist pride. And because of that, we've had a lot of instances, incidences here in the U.S. that, you know, people in other countries aren't looking favorably, favorably above. So it's like you have the Charlottesville where the girl is ran over by a car and she's just trying to protest against this nationalist pride. You have all of these uh, shootings and gun violences here in the U.S. that are just on a rise. And it's not people outside the country. It's people that are in the country, Americans that are doing this. So now it's just like, well, America's fighting itself and you have so many things here that you have to be aware of. So I can understand how people outside of the country now have fear coming into the country because there's so many things. If you're an African-American person or if you even look like you're African-American, um, you may have the chance of being pulled over and getting shot and not getting up. I mean, these are things that realities that have, for the most part, always existed, but are now really in the forefront and other people are seeing it. Yeah, and other people are seeing it and it seemed like they were just like, wow, like, man, if I come to the U.S., like, do I got to be careful with the police? And it's yes. like, before I'm like, shit, when I come to Nigeria, do I got to be careful with the police and having to deal with corruption? So it's funny now how things are becoming a little bit more reciprocated. Uh, when it comes to just how, you know, people who have access to information about America are being um, directed to see this negativity and all the violence. I mean, not, I wouldn't call it negativity, but just the truth mm -hmm. you know, about what's going on in America, especially with black people, um, especially when it comes to other things that relate to social justice issues and things of that nature. But what did you learn or did you I should I guess I should ask if you learned anything about the political um system which is a very very central issue especially with elections coming up in Nigeria what were your exposures um to that information related to politics <laughs> so I guess my first little inclination of there's an election coming up or there's a big political system is as we were driving there were billboards and posters Everywhere, every city, every state you went into that just was a politician saying, I'm here. Sam I'm Daddy. for chance. Sam Daddy. Sam Daddy. <laughs> and that was Sam one of their Daddy. Names. 
Yeah. But it's, it's just amazing because here in the U.S., you'll see little flag posts in people's yards, you know, but you don't see big billboards or, you know, big signs. And you saw that everywhere. Um, as we sat down and talked to your cousins about the political system, it was just amazing to hear about the corruption and to hear about um, how people rise in Nigeria and that it, it can sometimes be a system that rewards people for just being there for um, knowing the right person and that in Nigeria, and correct me if I'm wrong, the guy that's running for president now was president, I don't know how many years ago. 80s. In the 80s. And this is just recycled. All his same people are back in action. They're trying to do it again. But yet they don't have any new plan or anything new for the country. And so it just sounds like the political system is kind of stuck in this system where it's just like the politicians are getting rich and they're making money and they're kind of doing what needs to feed their interests, but not the country's interests. So that's kind of the the vicious cycle that's going on. Yeah. So, I mean, it, 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 was, it was very interesting to really have an in-depth conversation about that. So we'll shift gears a little bit and just talk about, before we wrap up, um, what was it like? to learn or I should say what do you learn about the culture you know when we talk about transnationalism and being an african-american coming back to what essentially would be considered your roots being through you know this experience and trying to regain that connection did you feel like now that you have a connection to africa through this um, union that we share do you what did you learn about the culture and what did you feel in regards to embracing it? Did you feel like it was something you could embrace or not? I just want to know what your experiences were like as far as the culture, learning about it and in a deeper sense from like what my dad said and everything. Like what did you feel about the culture now that you learned a little bit more about it? Well, first of all, it's definitely something I can embrace. Um as your dad, he he explained to me when we were talking, culture is something that can change over time. It's fluid. It's it's something that, you know, it has good parts, it has bad parts, but you kind of take what you want from it. Um, Yes, I definitely embrace the culture. Uh, I was definitely surprised at how welcoming everybody was and how similar it is. Mm, What are similarities and what are the differences? Yeah, so the similarities, first of all, we went to the village to meet your family, well, meet and meet your family for a family reunion. And it was just that. It was a family reunion. Mm. Everywhere I went, it reminded me of my family reunions. You know, you got your uncle that's always flashy. You know, he got yeah. stylish clothes. Yeah, yeah. You got your <laughs> you got your your aunt that thinks she cute walking around, knowing she cute. You got all the kids playing around, and then you got your family going at it, somebody arguing, somebody fighting, food everywhere, everybody trying to eat. So ultimately, it it felt like a family reunion, and it just felt like home. Mm-hmm. It felt very similar. So I mean, of course, there are differences. The language, everybody's speaking Igbo, but I will admit, your family was so nice, and that the family meeting, they said, "Wait, wait, we gonna speak English because we know we have somebody here that doesn't know Igbo," which right. I definitely appreciate. Sure, I didn't know Igbo. <laughs> like I didn't know it like that. So. But yeah, so language differences, Igbo, um, the cultural practices. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I was very privy to see what Igbo culture is and how um, there are certain things that are done. So we sacrificed two cows while we were there. And one of them, or at least the first one that sacrificed, 
the men kind of sit in a circle and they share the head I of the I wouldn't necessarily say sacrifice because we didn't really do any devotion. Oh, well, we ate two. <laughs> we, yeah, we killed two cows. We sure. killed them and ate them. Yeah, yeah that was a um, But the first one, it's kind of um, a ritual where the men sit in a circle and they share the head of the cow and kind of discuss and talk and just have this big camaraderie. Not eating dead cow that's not cooked, I thought that, but... They basically share pieces of the cow and then go home and cook it and do whatever they want with it. Right. But that's one of the rituals that I was privy to see that I had never seen before. Um, sharing of the cola nut, which is basically a nut where <laughs> each man takes a piece of it from the eldest to the youngest. Um, and that's just the tradition. And so it was nice to see that. And of course, that's different than my family, but that's something... I mean, as a woman, I can't necessarily embrace because I'm not a part of those things. But as a man, I guess you could embrace it. Um, so that and I mean, ultimately, it was nice. It was a family reunion. It felt like a family reunion. Yeah. And one thing about the Kola Nut that they always say in regards to the different sub-ethnic groups, you say the Kola Nut is very sacred in the Igbo culture. Um, the Yorubas grow it. And the houses love to eat it. And that's essentially what they say uh, when it comes to that particular thing. But if you look up the cola nut, it's a very sacred um, it's a very sacred thing that we use when it comes to our cultural practices. It's shared amongst us. We we use it and it's used to like trace lineage as far as who's the eldest in the room and who's the youngest. It's very, very special and unique to see how people in the village are able to still just keep track of the lineage from your beginning all the way to like your recent time now, like who's the youngest in your family? But this is only the men. Well, the women too, to some degree, is not they necessarily. They can't trace they're them not as, with a cola nut. They're not exclusive, but they don't. Tra you can't trace them with a cola nut because of the fact that a lot of the women end up being married, and when they get married, they now belong to the family of that person that they married. So that's you can't trace that this cola nut was here, and now this cola nut is gone, right? So, it's, so you trace the cola nut based on the man. Based on the man. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that you still can't know the women because of sisters and wives. You can still keep track of that, too. It's just Based like, on the man. It's just no. that you wouldn't give it to the woman, no. Okay. Right? So that's essentially what it is. Yes. A lot of things in the culture, to some degree, are very um, paternalistic, very, very conventional ways. It is what it is. It's old school stuff, but it is what it is. All right. So I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the question about what the day-to-day -day life was like for you before we you know start to wrap up i really wanted to touch on what your experience is like you know on a day-to-day -day, just saying like yo i'm in africa like i'm living the food just trying to find something fun to do like what was it like for you because i know being in a country period could be boring but talk to us yeah so i mean quickly i realized there are a few <laughs> things you always have to have on you in nigeria one is tissue. As a woman, you cannot go anywhere without tissue in your purse, in your pocket, because that's just a necessity. The second is you got to have a battery pack or something if you want to be able to charge your phone. And then bottled water. Just making sure wherever you go that you have water. Those were like the necessities that I always had on me. Um, but when talking about the day-to-day -day life, being in a village, you kind of get up. And you see what events are going on. What's going on? I mean, for the most part, you may or may not have electricity. But if you were smart enough, you got a charged battery pack. You got a charged phone. Um, you just kind of hang out. You eat breakfast. You eat, eat, eat. Um, 
goodness. The food is a lot, man. I, the food is a lot, I have to admit. Um, I want to say we were overfed, man. I didn't realize how much people eat until we got there. So you get up in the morning and you got breakfast. And breakfast is like, you know, you have a 12-inch plate. The 12-inch plate is full of something. Right. All the way to the brim. <laughs> All the way to the brim. So you got moi moi or you have custard. Or What's moi moi? Moi moi is like mashed up uh, black eyed peas. Mm. So mashed up black eyed peas with some fish or a boiled egg or something inside of it. It's pretty good. It's just you you get a big helping of it. Then you'll have like some custard, which is kind of like vanilla pudding, but hot and warm. So that was that was different for me because I'm used to pudding being cold, but it was warm. And then you add sugar or milk or something to it. Um, you can get fried yams, which are kind of like fried sweet, I mean fried potatoes with like a tomato sauce on it, a spicy tomato sauce on it. Um, but either way. You eat breakfast, and breakfast is a lot. And then you kind of hang around sometime throughout the day. Because we stayed in his father's house, which was next to the main house, his grandfather, grandmother's house, we would end up going over to the main house and seeing what's going on over there. So depending on the day, they'll have different activities going. Um, number one, somebody's always eating. <laughs> <laughs> Every time we went, it was food, food, food. And the thing about it is, Everybody's so nice, and they always want you to eat, 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 eat. Here, take some more, take some more. Um, so we got real good at saying, we just ate. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm okay with food. Just <laughs> eat right now, yeah. But, um, but no, so you see what's going on. You participate in whatever activities are going on. Um, but for the most part, it was very relaxing, very relaxing. Um, and you just kind of went day by day to see what was going on. Okay. So now, as far as how you kept yourself entertained, what'd you do? Uh, there were some lows. Uh, I took some very beautiful pictures of like the plants, <laughs> of different artistic things to keep myself busy. Um, but like I said, there were different activities going on in the main house. So one of the activities they had, which I was privy to participating in, is they had um, some of the older, more successful cousins, grandchildren, kind of talk to the younger people about what made them successful or kind of give a message. And so at the end, one of um, your aunts asked me to talk about health and to talk about cholesterol management with the older people. And um, that's right up my alley. So it was nice to talk to them. And they seemed very engaged. And I think your aunt asked about eating duck, if duck has cholesterol. And I was just like, well, I think that's a fatty bird. So I think it does have cholesterol. So that was interesting. Um, Did you like African food? Hmm? Do you like African food? Yeah, it was good. So the thing about it is, like I said, the portions were always the struggle. Mm. And by the end, I got pretty good at saying, just give me a little bit. Mm. Just give me one tiny yam. Because it's not that anything was bad. Oh, well, actually, let let me take that back. I didn't even try the pepper soup. Because I had this thing in my head. So in African-American culture, we eat chitlins. And so chitlins are the pig's intestines. I call it chitterlins. Yeah, we eat chitlins. (laughs) And so they're the pig's intestines turned inside out so you can clean them. And then you cut them up, you boil them, and you put some hot sauce on it. And they are supposedly so good. Now, when I was little, my mom will say I had them. 
But as I got older and able to say no, I started turning down chitlins from the beginning. And it's not because they taste bad. I don't, I really don't remember what they taste like. But I know that they smell bad and just the thought of them kind of just makes my stomach cringe. And so what Nigerians have is called pepper soup, which is basically chitlins in a peppery broth. And so I can't say it was bad, but that's one thing I did not try and I refused to try. But other than that, everything else was pretty good. It's just trying to tackle the portions. Okay. So just to kind of keep up with time, we're about 40 minutes in. But one of the things that I do want to ask is as a you know African-American coming home and reconnecting to Africa through our marriage and through this experience, one, do you consider yourself transnational? Not yet. I consider myself to be in the process. Okay. So you're in the process of becoming transnational. Why do you say that? Um, because I feel like you have to really, I mean, if you define it as just having roots in both countries, yes, I'm transnational. But do I feel like I can literally leave the U.S. today and go to Nigeria on my own and go and find my roots and be at home? No, I don't feel like that yet. But then again, that has a lot to do with me just not knowing the lay of the land and knowing everything right. So I feel like I'm in the process. Um, but I'm not quite there as a as a person. Becoming transnational. I got you. Okay, and then the final question is for those um who are interested, we have a you know, this podcast focuses on also reconnecting other African Americans um to Africa, some way, shape, or form. Um, what would you recommend or advise to people who may be interested in traveling to Africa, West Africa and South Africa, about getting adjusted and just preparing to travel and making that connection? Um I guess understand where you're going and know somebody. So the number one way to make things more familiar and to understand where you're going is to have that connection already. So if you're going to go, don't go by yourself. And definitely someone you trust. So, I mean, if you really want to take a visual to what the experience was like, at least from my end, definitely feel free to follow me on Instagram. I put it all on my Instagram page. I got an Instagram story called Nigeria We Go, um, which has everything um, that I could capture about my experiences in Nigeria, in the village specifically, um, just with my family and and all the roots and all the practices that um, that we took on. And I hope you all enjoyed it. Um, Babe, you're amazing. Thank you. Um, You Thank you. The show is all about you. Yes, yes, but you're part of it. Welcome, right? And it was good for you to see that. I was so honored and so happy that you got to do that. I love you for it. Not many women that I know in my life would have done that. Um, You're a blessing. And you're the apple of my eye. So, thank everyone for listening. Um, Please feel free to follow me on Black Transnational underscore on Instagram. Um, Hit me up, kalechi.lambers at gmail.com. Uh, this is another one of our Black Transnational Pillow Talks focusing on becoming transnational. And ask whatever questions you have, we'll answer them. Absolutely. So, hope you all enjoy the content. I know we took a lot of time, but it was a great trip. And um, my name is Dr. Kalechi B. Lambert. And I'm Dr. And our Black is Transnational. And we hope that by the end of this, you guys will be too. Hey, peace. <laughs>